Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. to focus on the first three chapters of 1 Samuel, okay? The first three chapters, basically, and we're just going to select some uh, highlights that come to mind in that chapter and verse. The book of Samuel, beginning with chapter 1. The book of Samuel, beginning at chapter 1. And I had a question before we actually start into that chapter. Uh, I want to ask you a personal question. I want to know, are you tired and weary of heart? Is the enemy playing havoc with your mind? In a nutshell, can you trust God to settle your mind to give you peace? When you come right down to it, is your faith strong enough to trust him when his word tells you he'll never leave you nor forsake you? And you're going through tough times. Can you take that verse and claim it as yours? Deuteronomy 31, 5 and 6 says he will never leave you nor forsake you. And John chapter 14, verse 27 reminds us that his peace he leaves with you. He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be ashamed or let it be afraid. In our human strength, one of the hardest things for us to do is to put our trust in someone else. We're like take control people. We want to be in behind the steering wheel. And I, I would, would bet if I were to ask every man here if that's the way they feel when they get in their car and other people in it, I'm sure probably every hand. I won't let you, won't make you raise your hand because your wife might be watching. But uh, most men feel that way. They want to be behind that steering wheel. They want to guide and, and uh, direct that car. That's why God's word over and over and over again tells us to trust the Lord with all of our heart and don't lean on our own understanding. As I read that first chapter in, in the first, uh, first Samuel, I'm reminded very much, and I was, of what took place about 22 years ago, my oldest daughter got married. He was a wonderful young man, and he came from a wonderful Christian family. And both my daughter and, and he wanted to start their families right away because they were in their late 20s, both of them. The years came and went, no success. They reached out to a number of very costly 
specialists in fertility problems with no success. They anguished before the Lord in prayer over 10 years, going through miscarriage after miscarriage, disappointment after disappointment with no success. And it even came to the point where they put their names on the adoption list of about three different adoption agencies because they sort of figured, well, it, that's what God wanted in their life. And even though they had no trouble being approved, nothing seemed to work out. Finally, after 10 and a half years of marriage, God answered their prayers. In August of 2006, we witnessed God's miracle birth, our one and only granddaughter, who just last month turned 11. God is faithful. And sometimes he just wants us to know how strong our faith is. He knows what we have inside, but he wants us to know it. And that's been a lesson that my daughter and her husband has leaned on over these last 11 years especially. Her name, Jessica Grace Kuharchik. That's a mouthful. Jessica means grace. So her name really is Grace Grace because they feel that it was God's grace that allowed my daughter not only to get impregnated, but to deliver a healthy baby girl. So what was God doing by taking so long to answer prayer? Well, finally, personally, I believe that he wanted my daughter and son-in-law to know the strength of their faith, a lesson they would need in years to come. The book of Psalms, King David encourages us to declare the enemy of our souls that no matter what we face in life, we will trust our God. We're to verbally declare that, and in all of our actions, we need to declare that. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 28, a lot of people's life verse, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So the question arises, who are the called that Paul is talking about? The called. Well, I'm telling you here and now, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are the called. And he says, all things that you work, that, that comes against you and works in your life, will work together for your good because you are the called. You don't have to be a pastor or any kind of other leader in a church to be the called, you are the called because you are anointed of God by way of his Holy Spirit when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can claim Romans 8.28 for yourself, waiting on the Lord, yet continuing to pray what you need in the Lord due to our lives is not contradictory. 
See, it's not a contradictory statement that if you're praying, you're not waiting. You should be praying while you're waiting, but also praying with confidence that you will receive that which God has for you. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that point when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. That's not easy, especially when your loved ones lie in a hospital bed and you're being, you've been praying all night and for some good news from the medical team who are not really sure of what directions to go. I think of Hannah and how she poured out her heart to the Lord, wanting a child so bad. Hannah was one of two wives that Elkanah, her husband, had. And the other wife was always poking fun at Hannah because she was barren. The Bible goes on to say that she wasn't barren because of some physical things. She was barren because God had closed her womb. And it doesn't really tell us how many years that she prayed for a child, especially a boy child. And then, one day, God touched her body and opened her womb. You see, I also know the assurance God gives us causes us to rest in him no matter what we might be facing. He's in control. Our loved ones is in his hands. I personally experienced that in 1996 when my father lay on his deathbed. Oh, we prayed. As a family, we believe in prayer and we touch God's throne, I know, but God took him. And he sent his peace to us. Because just before my dad passed, he looked up and says, a chariot's coming. He knew God was getting ready to take him home. It happened in, with my youngest son, David. Those you know who loves to raise his hand and sing and everything every Sunday morning. And God, over time, has restored him. It happened to my, uh, with my wife, who in 2005 had to face brain bleed. And at least for almost two days, the doctors in Philadelphia didn't know what to do. It happened with my oldest son here in 2010 or 2011, I think, when he had a tumor on his brain 
pressing up against his optic nerve and uh, though they, they removed most of it, they didn't get it all and a year later it started growing back again. So they had to do a gamma knife, which is direct radiation treatment, which destroyed his pituitary gland. What do I mean by when it says it happened, when I say it happened, I mean that we experienced John 14, 27 firsthand. He truly did keep us in perfect peace. Throughout all those situations in our family, God's peace kept us just trusting and believing in no matter what would take place, we knew that God was in control. For everything in our lives, we wait and continue to pray. We as a family has learned that praying continually, yet trusting and waiting on God is not contradictory. We are to continue to put our petitions before the Lord, yet with a confidence that whatever we ask in his name and in his will, he will hear us and answer us. Sometimes yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes not now, but later. And sometimes yes, but not the way we think. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts, but always for our good. That's his promise. That you can hold on to with both hands, with full confidence that all things will work together, no matter how that you see them now, no matter what the doctors may say. Remember, Doctor's knowledge comes from the Lord. It's not theirs originally. Why? Because he cares for his own. You see, I do believe in miracles. I've seen them firsthand on many occasions. And I know God is the same God of yesterday as he is today and as he will be as long as there's an earth and as long as there's a people who trust and believe in him. I believe in the protective keeping power of God's Holy Spirit. Well, I guess by now you're saying, what about the book of Samuel? <laughs> well, as I said before, I believe when I start to read that book, the things that happen in my life with my children, with my wife in our early days of marriage as well, I know that God likes to give good gifts. He's a giver of good gifts. And he loves his children so much that he wants to give them good gifts. Sometimes we as our, his children don't know what a good gift is. 
And sometimes he has to say, no, that you don't need right now. But in other times he says, you're not quite ready. I want you to experience some things. But it's coming. The book of Samuel is a, a, a book of great beginnings. Samuel himself was prayed for and asked for by his mother. And God granted her prayer. But at the same time, it's a book of tragic endings as well. And in these first three chapters, we, we read about some tragic endings. We read about the priest, who I believe God had anointed as priesthood, Eli. And for 40 years, Scripture says, he was priest, high priest, there in Israel. First, as a righteous leader, Eli certainly must have begun his life with close relationship with God. He spent over 40 years in the office of priest. Secondly, God had enough faith in him to place the boy Samuel in his care to teach and to train him all about the priesthood. And thirdly, yet as a father of two boys, whose destiny should have been to walk in the priesthood of their father as it should have been passed down to them, he failed miserably, and God judged him over it. Hophni and Phinehas did evil in the sight of the Lord, stealing the sacrifices of people who would come to make sacrifices at the temple, even sexually taking advantage of women who came to worship at the temple. And all this Eli knew about, yet he did not bring correction to his sons. And God judged him, took him not only, God judged him and took not only his son's lives, but also Eli's life all the same day. Jesus put it this way in Luke 12, 47 to 48. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom has been committed to him, they will ask the more. In other words, no one has an excuse. See, God's word is here to lead and to guide us into all truths. And even in 2 Timothy, 2nd chapter, 15th verse, it reminds us that we are to study to show ourselves approved, a workman unto God, 
who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, God, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit here on earth to lead and to guide us into all truth. And as you accept him as your Savior, he pours into you his Holy Spirit. No one escapes judgment. However, there is a way, and Jesus has provided it. How, you say? Through his Holy Spirit, which he has sent to lead us and guide us into all truth. Think long about, long and hard about Eli the priest. Like many of our generation, called into a sacred ministry by God, even though they begin their ministries with the honest intentions, uses that position for their own selfish gain, sometimes for power, sometimes for fame, sometimes for fortune, but never for what God has intended it for, the furtherance of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I heard one preacher years ago say this. He believes that that is why hell is going to burn with such a fervent heat, because of those who know and don't do. Think about that for a moment. Let's look at our second character in the book, Hannah. The mother of Israel's last and greatest judge, God also used him as a prophet and a priest. And we read 1 Samuel 1 to 7. Now there was a certain man in Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohem, the son of Elihu, and son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penana. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make offering, he would give portions of Pen to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, that she provoked her, Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Hannah was being tortured by the other wife and made fun of. Having children very often was seen as becoming a complete woman. 
But God heard her cry and heard her plea. Adam was childless for many years because God had closed her womb. Yet she steadfastly, earnestly fasted and prayed and wept bitterly, petitioning the Lord with a grievous heart. Then to show the Lord how serious she was, made a vow to the Lord. How many of you know that if you make a vow to the Lord, you better keep it? And Hannah wanted a child, and she was serious. So she told the Lord she would keep this vow. And the vow had to do with if he would give her a son, she would give him back, that he might learn the ways of the priesthood and be a priest in God's house. No razor was to be on his head. And that was a, a Nazarite vow. And I first read about that in the, when we read about Samson. Remember? That was one of the things that God told his mother not to let a razor go on his head and, and he would keep his strength. Well, there are some people in the book that live up to what they're supposed to and others just like here today who do not live up to what they're supposed to. And Samson did not. He took for granted his strength and God allowed him to go so far and then he took his strength from him and he was destroyed. So God opened up Hannah's womb and she was faithful and she gave the son back. After he was weaned, she gave him to Eli to be raised in that tabernacle. But yet every year he, she would come and bring the things he needed, clothing and even food and things that he, she would provide for him. And after that, after God saw that she was really in earnest and completed the vow that she made and fulfilled her vow, God blessed Hannah. She, her womb was open another five times as she realized the delivering of all told six children, four males and two females. So Hannah had six children that she could lay claim to that were hers. Hannah, a woman of faith, a woman who knew how to be persistent in prayer, a woman of commitment and determination, but most of all, a woman who kept her promise to the Lord. Think about that. When we make a vow and promise whatever to the Lord, we need to know that he doesn't forget. And we need to be honest and fulfill our vow to the Lord. Do you want God's favor in your life? 
Honor him with your time, your possessions, and your life, including your thoughts. But most, but more importantly, honor him with the intent of your, of your heart. You see, sometimes the most important thing is not what you do or how you do it. Why you do what you do, sometimes God sees right through your intent. The intent of your heart, God reads your heart and especially pays attention to why you say and do what you do. I call that character. God looks at our character. He reads our hearts. And he will pour out blessings upon you if you're true with your intent to serve him. The Apostle Paul admonishes us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience with all obedience when all obedience is fulfilled. You see, God reads the intent and says we need to bring every one of our thoughts, scrutinize it by the word of God and bring it under captivity that it might be pleasing unto God. 1 Samuel 2 and 30 says, For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God honors a faithful worshiper, a faithful giver, a faithful person. He honors them, and he will shower you with blessings untold, blessings that you wouldn't even think you were going to get. Hannah honored God, and God honored her with six children, Hophni and Phinehas, and their father Eli did not take the priestly offices as anything to honor God about, and God judged them over it. In fact, God took all three of their lives on the very same day. The third person we want to just talk about just a hair is Samuel himself. Samuel was a judge. He was the last of the judges of Israel. God used him as a prophet. And he also held the office of priest. God's man in God's season. His name means name of God, but more commonly translated, ask of God. I feel really blessed because that's my name too. And I 
I look back on some things that happened in my life and I realize that God's hand was on my life when I was in my mother's womb. I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I think I will. I had two brothers. I still have my oldest brother, but there was one two years younger than he who lived for about a month, month and a half, and he died in his sleep because of a hernia that they wouldn't operate on back then, and we're talking about 1941. Back then they didn't operate on babies that young. And they kept telling my mom, just keeping still, keeping comfortable, and by the time he's two years of age, we'll look into the possibilities of fixing that hernia. But my mother put him down for his afternoon nap, and when she went back, an hour and a half later, he was gone. I'll see him. Now, I, didn't, I wasn't born for another two years. And during that time, my mother was devastated. She wanted another child so bad, and she was, was praying hard and laboring before the Lord. And finally, about a year and a half later, God blessed her to become pregnant again. Well, when it came time for her to deliver, my, I guess I was anxious to see the world. And, you know, my mother called out to my dad and said, and his name is Sam as well, said, Sam, you've got to take me to the hospital. And so he hopped in the car and took her. Once they got to Mercer Hospital in Trenton, he rushed her to the nurse's station. And the nurse's station was saying, oh, okay, we'll take care of you. Just relax. And she called another nurse, and they escorted my mom to a room. And my mother was selling them, wait a minute, you don't understand. It, the time is now. She says, yes, we know. Mrs., we'll take your time, just lay down here and we'll... And when that nurse saw that I was crowning already, she physically pushed me back inside my mother. And it was so devastating, it destroyed her womb to where once they did, once I was birthed, the doctor took a look at at her and said, you'll never have any more children. And that she was, number one, happy that she had given birth to one, but she did like to have a few more because she wanted a son, a daughter. And she knew that my dad wanted a daughter too. Well, that prayer never was realized. Long story short, she gave birth to six boys. But my point was, I know for a fact, in my heart, I really feel that the enemy of our souls knew the calling that was on my life, even then. And I believe that he did what he could to try to 
short circuit in my life. Well, in my life, and I'm 74 years of age now, but I've had at least five different times when I should have been dead in my life. And sometime, well, maybe if we go to a men's group and, and we talk about it, I'll share them all. I've shared so many of them. But God will protect his own and keep his own until the day when he has says, it's time for you to come up. So you don't have to fear that. And I shared some of that with a, a lady in the hospital this past weekend that, you know, we as believers in Christ don't have to fear waking up in glory, leaving this earth, because he's promised to have already prepared a place for us. So we don't have to be anxious. Enjoy the life you have here now with your friends and relatives, but look forward to the day when you see your Savior face to face. It's going to be a time of rejoicing. I've heard some people say, well, what are we going to do up there? You know what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I know that in whom I put my trust, I will see face to face. And I know I'm going to be glad. And hopefully during that time that the God will restore my voice and I'll be able to sing again. God is a good God. So what's in a name? A lot of things are in a name. I think about my granddaughter, Grace Grace. I think about my name, Asked of God. I think about a lot of the, the names of the apostles and other people you find in, in Scripture. And you can look them up and you'll find that their names really do coincide with the character that they lived during their lifetime. Jeremiah 15.1 tells us that God considered Samuel one of the most trusted prophets and leaders to intercede between himself and his chosen people. Paul the Apostle in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32, speaks of Samuel as a prophet and leader of the Israelites who subdued kingdoms, worked righteously, obtained promises, quenched violent, uh, violence with fire, escaped the edge of the sword in battle, and out of weakness was made strong because valiant, became valiant in battle and turned to fight and win battles against the aliens of his day. Sometimes I used to think, well, Samuel was a quiet, peaceful man. But you need to read some of his exploits. He was a valiant warrior. Everyone in here who's given their life to Jesus is a valiant warrior in times of need. When God calls upon you to spiritually do battle, you'll find things coming out of your mouth you didn't realize you had inside of you. When God calls upon you to speak 
a word of encouragement, God will put it in your heart and mind to do. Trust in the Lord in all your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Samuel was truly a valiant man, a man's man. But first and foremost, he was God's man during Israel's troubled time. My encouragement to everyone who wishes to become a parent, who are about to have a child, to choose their names carefully. You do not have the final say as to their names, but uh, you do have the final say about their names, but consider a name that would honor God and honor the Lord. Finally, I see lessons that we, that I've learned from the first book of Samuel in the first three chapters. Number one, God honors those who honor him. Number two, don't take for granted your place before God. Every position he raises us to, be, to come, it comes with responsibilities. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of him whom you serve. And thirdly, we may think of getting away with our, we may think we're getting away with our disobedience. However, judgment day is coming when we must give an account for every, uh, for every idle thought and every misdeed we do, every selfish deed. And for our stewardship and fulfilling the positions we've been given, we must give an account. God is faithful and who will, with the gifts he give you, give you the opportunity and give you the strength to use those for his glory. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.